0: We are glad that you are here this morning, and um, I wanted to share a story with you. you. You all know James Harrison, don't you? Well, you may know a James Harrison, but I doubt if you know the one I know, and this is a tribute to Pastor Harley, who began our, our meetings down in Kyle Buda today at the Evo Theater uh, for the Kyle Buda campus, and we're excited about that and what God is doing there. Uh, but... James Harrison was an Aussie, which means he's from Australia, okay? So I imagine he spoke much like Pastor Harley when he speaks. But James uh, Harrison's story is rather unique. At age 14, as a young teenager, he had a lung removed. Now, that that will alter your life a little bit. But what happened with James Harrison was that after the surgery was done and they had him... uh, kind of coming to again, the doctor told him, if it had not been for the fact that you had received two units of blood that had been donated, you probably wouldn't be alive today. And that had such an impression on this young man that he turned around, and when he was able to donate blood at the age of 18 for the next 63 years till he was 81, he donated plasma and blood. And the result was this unbeknownst to him, he had in his blood a antibody for the RH factor, which allowed as a result over two million babies to survive. Imagine that. Being personally responsible for over two million lives. He just stopped giving blood at age 81. An incredible man, he's known as the man with the golden arm. And uh, this man, they were told, probably had this factor in his blood because he was given blood of the wrong type as part of his blood transfusion during his surgery. It was a mistake, right? No not a mistake you see God used this seeming uh, problem to be a blessing to millions and sometimes when we think about ourselves we we say, well I can never affect that many lives and and that way but then again we really don't know the impact of the things that we do in our lives every decision we make every choice we participate in affects somebody, not just ourselves. James Harrison had no idea that he would live that many years and save that many lives, but he decided to use the resources he had, the limitations that he had, and then decided to enter into life as fully as he could and bless as many as he could. This is the end result of you and I doing our part in the kingdom of God. Today kind of wraps up a series for us. We, we've talked about that our focus in life should be others, not ourselves. How our gifts and how we've been blessed by God and the uniqueness of our lives should be used to bless others. We are reminded time and time again that God uses all that is a part of our lives for his glory if we allow him. If we allow Him. Uh, I stand in awe of all of you who volunteer and serve in our community of faith here. Uh, But I I get a special kind of first-hand account with a a few people that uh, have especially blessed me. in, In a way because out of their own brokenness, out of their own loss, out of their own grief they decided to transform that and use that for the glory of God to affect many lives. I'm talking about those who lead our divorce care and those who lead our grief share. Um, Russell and Valerie Lyde have faithfully led our grief share for a number of probably about five years now. My wife and I were a part of that uh, program for some years when we first came here. And uh, now they've taken it over, and they, they just every year seem to bless people's lives. You've seen some other people who have come into our church through that ministry, go through the waters of baptism, and become members of our church. In divorce care, Nancy Nicholas, who's down here. Raise your hand, Nancy. Just wave at everybody. And Vic May is back here someplace. I know I saw him earlier. And Mark Hayes running around somewhere, and Ann Lewis. The four of them have faithfully done that ministry uh, in the 14 years that I've been here at Bannockburn campus. They affect lives that are broken, lives from our community, and impact them in a way that changes them and allows them to move on with life and bless others. Last year, there was a young man in the Grief Share group who, who turned around and began his own Grief Share group. <laughs> and uh, last I heard, he, he had quite the sizable group that he was ministering to. It multiplies, it ripples, it has impact. We're going to look at the life of one individual that impacted the world and uh, impacted you and me in, in a, in a kind of awkward way. It wasn't like he was front and center throughout the entirety of the Scriptures. But Joseph of Arimathea was, was a man who in the right moment at the right time used the resources God had given him. To bless, and because he blessed the Lord Jesus, you and I have been the benefactors. Just imagine if there had not been a tomb, (laughs) where would there have been a resurrection? And so the story of Joseph, as we back into this, sets the stage for all of the most powerful moments in the gospel story. If you're turning with me to Mark chapter 15, beginning at verse 43 through 46, you can follow with me there. It says, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was already dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph, and Joseph brought a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. Let's pray, shall we? Father, take your word today in the example of this faithful follower of Jesus. May it inspire us to be faithful in the moment, to do what you call us to do, to impact lives eternally. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Joseph, first of all, was a respected man. He was a man who was in the governing group of that society, then in Israel, the Sanhedrin. They were responsible for the social and the spiritual and the material welfare of a nation. And that was his responsibility. He was one of 70-plus members of that very important governing group. You might compare it probably to something like a senator in our society. But he was respected in this this community, as, as the scripture has said here in Mark, which means that he was not just simply someone who represented, he's someone who represented well. He was somebody who had the respect of those who had been supportive of him and whose guidance he had given. Being respected in this community meant that he was a person that was fairly well-to-do. In fact, we learn later on in chapter 27 of Matthew, verses 57 to 60, that Joseph laid, it in, in his, laid him in his own tomb, he says, which he had cut out of the rock because he was a wealthy man. He was a man of means. But being a respected member of the Senate or the Sanhedrin, in those days, meant that he also had access to powerful people. And one of those powerful people was Pilate. I don't think any of the disciples would have had the credibility or the respect of the community or the acknowledgement of the Roman governor to actually come to Pilate and to ask for the body of Jesus. But Joseph was such a man for such a time. Just as we learned some time ago when we were studying in Esther, that God had set her aside for a particular time, for a particular event in her life for the benefit of many, so Joseph did the same thing. We find that in all of the Gospels, they all kind of give us little snippets about Joseph and who he was and the kind of man he was. He was, according to Luke chapter 23 and verse 50, he was a righteous man. He was a member of council and a good and righteous man. What does that mean? Well, he was not only respected, he was not only a man of means, he was also a man who had people's respect in the sense that he was good, he was a man who was godly in his intentions and his actions, he was a man who they could put in and trust and they could also see him as one who led them nobly. He desired the things of God. He was a man whose heart, as we read in Mark just a few moments ago, was looking for the kingdom of God. That was his focus. Matthew also writes elsewhere, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. That was the heartbeat of who Joseph of Arimathea was, looking for the kingdom, a man who is good and righteous. We read in chapter 23 of Luke, in verse 51, something that kind of opens the door for us. For we read, he had not consented to the decisions and the actions of the Sanhedrin. All their deliberations that had moved Jesus through a kangaroo court and that had moved Jesus from being a a simple teacher from from Galilee to being one who is threatening the throne of Caesar in their minds... They, they shoved him through this, this jury situation that, that was unfair, and, and Joseph of Arimathea knew it. He was not consenting to it. He did not agree. But in the Sanhedrin, everything, much like our Senate, had a vote, and the majority ruled. And even though they did this in the middle of the night, against their own rules and against their own regulations, Jesus was tried, convicted, and condemned. But Joseph was not consenting. He did not participate. He did not agree with the decisions that were made. There's a reason for that. In a way, it kind of brought Joseph out into the open. For we read in the the Gospel of John in his account that Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take the away ba- ba- the body of Jesus. He was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly. Um, we don't have secret agent Christians. <laughs> there should be no such thing. We are called to be bold in our faith. We are called to be open with our faith. And there are moments that demand that we be open with our faith and such was this moment in Joseph's life he could no longer remain hidden his voice was heard his vote was heard his lack of consent was acknowledged his ability to stand up oversaw his fear of giving in because you see he had a fear of the Jews why What was it that would cause such a fear of the Jews for this leader of the Jews? True faith was being born in Joseph's heart. Not one that was secret, but one that would soon become very open and acknowledged and viewed by all. This moment required action, and faith always requires action. We cannot sit idly by and not get involved. And when our faith requires action, action gets going. (laughs) And he took action. He went to Pilate. He had seen the unjustness. He had seen the cruelty. He had observed all of the inequities of, of the whole trial and death of Jesus as a condemned criminal. But there's something that happened that changed him from being a man secretly afraid of the Jews to being a man who openly asked for the body of Jesus and openly gave all that he had to bless Jesus. You see, when a criminal was hung on a cross, their bodies were left there to rot. It was called the place of a skull for a reason. Because there is much debris from previous crucifixions still laying around, the skull—a place of cruelty. There is no honorable death, no honorable burial for a criminal. And yet, here's Joseph coming to coming to Pilate and requesting the body of Jesus, a recognized criminal. And wanting to put him in his own tomb. What changed his mind? We are not really told specifically, but there's one thing that happened between his status as one who feared the Jews and one who openly confessed his relationship with Jesus, and that was the cross. I can imagine Joseph coming to the cross that day, hearing the derision, hearing the scorn shouted at Jesus, overhearing the conversations taking place among his brethren, members of the Sanhedrin, and the Pharisees who were present. I can imagine him observing the tears and the agony and the pain that was involved in this incredibly unfair situation. The cross changed his heart. The death of the Savior changed his heart. The words of forgiveness changed his heart. Joseph was no innocent bystander and he was not going to let this continue. He must ask for the body of Jesus. I submit to you that if he had not asked for the body of Jesus, there never would have been a tomb for Jesus. Ironically, when you read in the Scriptures back in in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 9, it tells us that Jesus would be placed in a rich man's grave. This is a thousand years before. It was prophecy fulfilled. It was God doing what God alone can do in the worst of moments and turn that worst of moments into the the place of healing and the place of hope and the place that will allow Jesus this opportunity to prove himself to be the Son of God, to burst through a sealed tomb on a Sunday morning, to declare to all that God is greater than the grave and you and I are the benefactors of that because we serve a risen Savior. He is not dead, he is not gone, he is alive. Did Joseph spare expense? No, he took action, but he also counted the cost. You see, there was a lot of cost involved to Joseph making this action, making this decision to follow Jesus openly instead of secretly. It very well may have caused him to be the, the focus of the same derision that Jesus received. His vote against, his lack of consent to all that took place in the trial of Jesus set him apart. It would affect his wealth. It would affect his status. It would affect his position in the, in the neighborhood. It would affect everything of his reputation, his safety, perhaps even his resources, his money. All of that was up for grabs. But in this moment, Joseph didn't care. He was a good and righteous man and chose to do what honored God and what promoted his kingdom. He basically got involved. And true faith not only takes action and counts the cost, but true faith enters in and gets involved. He had to get his hands dirty. You've seen the pictures, you've, you've read the stories of all that took place in the life of Jesus in those final days and those final hours. This was no, uh, you know, kind of cleansed situation that he was participating in. He was taking down a body, bruised, broken, bleeding. He was placing him in a linen cloth, and he was taking the same body and carrying it to a tomb that he had hewn out for himself. It was not unusual for the rich in that day to have tombs built for them and their family to be buried in. It was a very personal act. It was a very giving act. It was a total giving act on his part to place the body of Jesus in the tomb. His brethren, in quotes, (laughs) who were the ones who sat with him in the Sanhedrin, made sure that this, this... tomb where Jesus was placed would be sealed tight and that guards would be placed to prevent anything like what Jesus had, had stated would happen would happen there was going to be no resurrection if they had their way but God was bigger than a sealed tomb God was bigger than guards there were many witnesses who saw them place the body in the tomb they had spared no expense, we are told. Nicodemus came along and helped Joseph of Arimathea. He has well opened up his self to the public scrutiny as a leader and as a Pharisee. Together they put this body in the tomb and, and they gave 75 pounds worth of herbs and spices and things to, to make the body smell good and preserve the body as it were. Treating it like it was a rich person's tomb, like this was a person of renown, not some criminal who had hung on a cross. They'd gone the full extent, they got involved. Paul later writes and says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as refuge that I may win Christ. It was a choice. It was a choice to take action, to count the cost, and to get involved. Not remain aloof. Not remain disconnected. You see, today, we have been encouraged over the last few weeks to focus not on ourselves, but on others as a part of being a part of what God is doing We've been called to focus on the kingdom, on the things that matter, on the things that enhance God's kingdom here on earth. But we're also asked to focus on the eternal, the things that really last. There's a term used in, in engineering circles, so I'm told, called blast radius. It's the ripple effect in the world, always bigger than the direct thing which conducts or begins the whole action. It's like throwing a rock into the water. It's not very big, but the ripples keep expanding. In the same way, when we do an act of kindness, when we serve willingly others in the kingdom of God, there's something that happens in our lives. We begin to see the ripple effects, the impact all around the world for that moment. I was thinking this week as to those people who have had great impact in my life and my mind goes back to a single mom, mother of one of my best friends as a kid and a church that did not preach the gospel, she had us memorize scripture and she had us memorize 1 John four nineteen. we love him because he first loved us. And that verse has stood as a foundational pivotal point in my life to this very day. I love because he loved. Joseph loved because he saw the love of the Savior on Calvary's cross. Paul writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 13 to 18, we read this: Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke, we also believe, and so we speak knowing that who, he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it all for your sake, so that his grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Do you see the ripple effect? When we believe, when we act on our belief, his grace extends. His grace extends has the blast radius that impacts the world. He goes on to say, because of this, we do not lose heart. Though our outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, But to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen, they are eternal. We are asked to take action, to count the cost, to get involved, to get our hands dirty, to do the things that maybe no one else will do. But perhaps it's because we have the resources and and the effort and the ability to do what no one else can do. God has uniquely placed us in that moment. You could be a, a simple single bombed teaching a scripture verse, or you could be a Joseph of Arimathea, a man of status and influence who alone could go to Pilate, who alone could have a tomb available for the body of the Lord Jesus. You could run anywhere in that gamut of people. But God calls you, God calls me, to be faithful with the gifts and the abilities and the talents and the resources that he has given you for the benefit of the kingdom. The question is today, we will never know how far the blast radius of our kindness of our acts of service may be. And the question remains, will we be faithful in the moment? Will we be willing to do the hard thing, the difficult thing? Will we be willing to sit with children and teach them the Word of God? It is said that Billy Graham, that renowned evangelist of my generation, was where he was because a shoe salesman was willing to share the gospel of Christ with a man who came to know Jesus, who led Billy Graham to Jesus, who in turn led thousands and thousands to Jesus. You don't know the blast radius of your faith. You don't know the impact of what one person can have in their world. God simply asks us today to be faithful in the moment To act on our faith, to get our hands dirty, to do what our heart feels led to do by His Spirit, to let our faith take action, to be a vital part of the body of Christ and the work of His kingdom. The question today is will you be a part of that? Will you enter into that fully? What are you willing to risk to step into the fullness of the call of Jesus on your life? Let's pray. Father, in your goodness and in your grace, you've chosen to use simple people. And people have impacted the world in in incredible ways, in, in ways that that, Lord, we, we will never know this side of glory. But we ask that you would find us faithful in this moment, faithful to do what you call us to do, faithful to get our hands dirty, to use all of our resources, our gifts, our abilities for your kingdom's sake. And, Lord, may you receive the glory of the grace that multiplies in and through us we love because you first loved us and the cross has made all the difference and because we serve a risen Savior today Lord we, we entered into the fullness of that life that you offer and I ask Lord that for everyone that is present here this morning that there would be no secrecy regarding their faith that it would be open that would be honest, that it would be powerful in the changing of many lives all across this community, all across this nation, all across our world and in the generations to come. Lord, you are doing a work, and we want to be a part of your mighty work. Find us faithful, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.